So open your Bibles to the book of James and to James 5. If you don't have a Bible, the people that are walking down the aisles are here to give you one. You can just raise your hand. You can keep it. That's our gift to you. But also you can open the YouVersion app on your phone. Download that if you don't have it. It's amazing. And you can follow along with all the scriptures that are in there and loaded already, or they'll be on the screen. Again, welcome online and to our people at the Brown County Correctional Facility, hello. I never get to see you because you just see the sermon. So we love you. So grateful you're a part of our family and so glad that you're here. So the book of James, I get the last of the book of James, the last in this series. And I know that it's how it fell. It wasn't my husband picking on me, but we're talking about faith. I'm like, really? Faith is the most, like, I'm grabbing for it. It feels like the wind. I can't seem to have enough. And I'm like, So thanks, babe, but I know it's not his fault, but thanks, babe. And so the book of James, the last of it, and this is a book that we have spent an entire series on. In fact, it's only five chapters. It's 108 verses, and you could literally read James, the whole book, in 15 minutes. So if you haven't, go ahead. You'll see a scripture section that we didn't preach in the series, and that blog, Sean wrote a blog about that. That's on our Facebook and our website that you can see that blog about it. But it is practical wisdom, this whole book. In fact, some theologians call it the Proverbs of the New Testament. I have a special love for Proverbs. I did a Bible study online for 31 days on the 31 books of Proverbs or chapters of Proverbs. And then um, I also wrote a book after I did the, the Bible study. And so I believe that Proverbs is valuable because of all the wisdom. And so if James is the New Testament Proverbs, I think it's pretty important because it means it's filled with wisdom. So let's pray as we get into this last series. God, thank you so much that I get to be a part of people's journey to unpack scriptures about faith. This isn't easy. It's not easy for me to walk out, and it's really not easy to preach about. So God, I pray that all of the ears in here would take it in, God, that you've already softened our hearts and our spirit through amazing worship to be ready to receive. So change us. Make us different that we walk out of here different than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. So James 5.13 says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them pray. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. He basically covered every human being. Either you're happy or you're in trouble, either you're sick or you're healthy. We all fit into one of those categories. But when it comes to the part about oil, Some people can go, I don't understand that. And believe me, I didn't really understand this until I went searching because I have a story about oil and about faith and about healing because oil is used uh, in many churches and it was used all the way back to biblical times for healing. But it's like, what does that do? Like I've seen people and I've gotten out an olive oil jar from above the stove and thought, is this the right oil or does it have to be in a special vial? I've had people who have come and put a cross on my forehead in a church service and I'm like, I'm gonna get zits right there in a shape of a cross. Like, but is that good that you're doing that? So I have a story and you guys, if you've been here any amount of time, you're like, you know this. Sean and I lost our first daughter, Savannah, 
After multiple miscarriages, we were told during her pregnancy that she would have deformities, something was wrong, and that she probably wouldn't survive. We were told, go ahead and abort the pregnancy because she's not going to make it at 17 weeks. You just need to do that. And we said no. So we began to pray for a miracle. And so one doctor's visit, we would get there, and they would say, oh, her heart looks better, but her kidneys look worse. But we're like, but her heart got better. And we'd hold on to that, and that would build our faith, but then we'd have that little asterisk that her kidneys weren't good. One time we'd go and they'd say, oh, her limbs, her legs are growing longer. That's good. But now it looks like her heart has another issue in a chamber. And it was, I mean, I felt like I was lost, losing my mind, totally losing my mind. So the night before we were going to have Savannah, it was a scheduled C-section to make sure that she had the best chance possible to survive. So The night before, we had a youth evangelist, simply means a pastor who goes around talking talking to teenagers. And he is very, very passionate. And he's a guy who believes that oil can fix anything. Uh, It's like my big fat Greek wedding with Windex. Like he's like, spray some oil on that. And lots of passion, lots of faith. In fact, I always felt like I wasn't as good of a Jesus person as him because he just was so passionate. So he comes to me and I'm like overly big. Because when you have a complicated pregnancy, you also retain extra water and fluid. I was massive. And so after youth service, these teenagers who are probably thinking, I don't want to do this, he gathers them around me and they all lay hands on me. And he, and guys just, so when he did the cross on the forehead, okay, that's a zit issue. But when a guy touches your belly, just know that's awkward. Like if you see a pregnant lady, guys, that's a tip. Just don't go up and touch it. Um, Even ladies, nobody wants this area touched. So I had teenagers and I had the guy with his hands on my belly. He was anointing my forehead. He was staining my shirt because oil doesn't come out. I'm thinking all these things is happening. I'm like, nope, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to muster up enough faith, more faith than I've ever had in my entire life because we need this baby tomorrow at 11.30 a.m. to come out perfect. I got rid of every fear, doubt. I mean, I've never had so much faith. I probably still don't have as much faith as I had in that moment. The next morning, I wake up from the C-section and I remember my hands were on my belly and I remember thinking, that's really concave. Another time I've never thought since that I have a concave belly, but it was, went from so big to this and I felt so empty and I felt so concave. I just remember that feeling and I looked around the recovery room and Sean wasn't there. And I thought, what in the world? First of all, come on, buddy, like be there for me. And then I realized he might be with the baby. They had had to put me under anesthesia because I had complications after the C-section. So I wake up in a recovery room and I ask the nurse and she says, yes, your husband's up with your baby. And I knew it. I knew she was perfect. I knew everything came out fine and he's up there holding her ready to bring her down. He walks in the room and he's green, like he's gonna vomit. And I said, is, is she, she's alive. Like we thought she would come out dead. I mean, she's alive. He said, there are tubes everywhere. And I said, but what does that mean? He's, and I just could tell by the look on his face, he wasn't gonna try to give me any hope. Sean was also dealing with the fact that we prayed, God. We prayed with oil and you did not heal her. And so what does this oil do? Well, frankly, the oil is a symbol. Just like communion is a symbol, we're actually not eating the flesh and the blood of Jesus when we take communion. You guys are eating crackers and it stays crackers. You are drinking bad grape juice that's warm and nasty and it's staying grape juice. It's not turning into the blood and the body of Jesus, no matter what some churches may have taught you. 
It's a symbol, but it is important because it's a recognition that, that we're remembering what Jesus did for us. Baptism. Actually, baptism going under the water is supposed to represent the death of Christ because when you go underwater, you're, you're not many seconds away from drowning in death. But when you come up, you're a new creation. It represents the resurrection of Jesus and to die to self. Oil. Oil is what they used in the Jewish times for healing, but not just pray for you and poof. Literally, like we do today, many people, they have lavender they use at night to fall asleep, to be relaxed. We're more and more open to the healing agents of oil. But back then, that's what they used. Frankincense and myrrh, although they represented something, they were healing to Mary after the birth of Jesus. So when the wise men brought frankincense and myrrh, these, these herbs, these oils, these perfumes, they're healing. So when we had oil, it was a representation of healing. So it's symbolic. But the great thing about oil is that it helps us to not put our focus on who's praying for us, but on the Holy Spirit. Because the oil is typically olive oil, which is very um, connected to Jesus and to the Holy Land, many olive vineyards, uh, many olive trees. And so olive oil is the symbol. It keeps us from focusing on the person praying for us and their power, and it keeps us focused on the power of the Holy Spirit. But what about when oil didn't even work. It's prayer that we had faith in and it didn't work. So in verse 15, it says, and the prayer offered in faith, and this is our point today, will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. But this is a different word originally than how you see it on the screen. Healed, it doesn't just mean physically healed. It means complete healing. It means internal healing. And the verse that says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, that is linked to complete healing. Righteousness means in right standing with Jesus. Complete healing is way more important than just your little owie got healed. Complete healing's a bigger deal, but I, they're hand in hand. And I kind of think of it like the chicken and the egg. Which came first? I still don't know, but I don't think that they said that in the early, in the Genesis, that Jesus made animals and birds and eggs. So my theory is he made a chicken, but you can think differently. But what came first, the chicken or the egg? This is how it feels and how it should be when we think of faith. What comes first? Complete healing or righteousness? Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So do I need to be righteous before I'm completely healed? No, but it's more effective. So here's, here's what I would present to you. If you want to have faith, get in right standing with God. Because then it's more than a physical healing, a one-time healing, it's a complete healing. This is why we encourage Journey to Wholeness to go get healed emotionally because complete healing leads to right standing with God, which leads to effective prayers. But the chicken or the egg says that the opposite is true as well. Healing requires, it requires faith. Do we believe in divine healing? Yes. Why? Because it's in the book. Why doesn't it always work the way we want? I don't know. Why wasn't Savannah healed? I don't know. What I do know is, God, is that God always does the right thing. Whether we recognize it or not, you have to trust. You have to have faith. And can I just say, I'm so glad that God is way too big for me to understand. 
I now see the reasons or I see the fruit of the loss of Savannah. But I'm glad that it's just too big for me to fully understand. There are some things that require me to trust him. There are some things that require faith and there are other things that God is trying to send a lifeboat and we've had faith for healing and he's been sending the answer, the healing. But it doesn't look like we want. I don't know if this was a joke, a riddle, or just a story, but remember the, the riddle where it was, these people got to heaven and they shook their fists at God and said, why didn't you rescue us? Why didn't you save us? And they were on the top of a uh, roof of a house and it had flooded and they asked God to save them. You've probably heard this. They're praying, God, save us. We're going to drown. Like we're literally stranded. So a lifeboat comes by and God said, remember when the lifeboat came by and you, they said, jump in. And you said, it's okay. We're getting rescued, we're getting saved. And then a helicopter came by and threw down a rope, threw down a ladder, and you're like, it's okay, we have faith. God will save us. And then the water kept rising and you drown. I sent those for you. Sometimes God's sending healing, he's sending things we've been praying for in faith, but they don't look like we expected them to look. For me, I thought I can't bring Savannah back to life. But what I can do is figure out what's going on because this is not gonna happen to us again. And we are gonna have a healthy baby. So I went looking for answers. And wisdom is sometimes, or people with wisdom, is exactly who God sends to rescue you. So what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance, it's the meat of things hoped for. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. But how does it work? And so I'm gonna give you three points today. Today, we're gonna talk about how faith works. But James, he's Pastor James to the church in Jerusalem. He shows us through a story of Elijah. So if you read ahead and you read in James, you see James, who's a pastor in the New Testament in Jerusalem, talks about an Old Testament prophet. And he talks about Elijah. Now, he just goes on talking like it's a bunch of church people. He knows that they've been raised in a rabbinical way where they were raised to know the Old Testament. But I'm going to tell you a little bit more because I'm assuming there's some people that don't know the story of Elijah. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And I wanted to point that out because Elijah was not perfect. I'll talk about why. So Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So let me fill in the gap between verses 17 and 18 with a few truths about the faith journey. Elijah in his faith faith journey looked a little bit more like your story and my story. Elijah was used by God. You guys, that now that you know Jesus, you are being used by God or will be used by God. But the world around Elijah looked awful. In fact, the king in charge, King Ahab, was an awful king, and he was telling people they needed to worship Baal, not worship God, not worship the God of Israel. Uh, but this, this happens to leave out the fact that he's married to Jezebel. Have any of you heard about a Jezebel spirit? And you're like, ooh, a Jezebel spirit, what's that? You typically think a sexual spirit, a woman who's got you know sexual enticing ways about her. And where we get that, the Bible 
Bible doesn't actually say exactly that, but where we get that is Jezebel was married to King Ahab, and Jezebel introduced all kinds of foreign gods. And she said all of the land should worship Baal. Baal was represented by a golden calf. Interesting, huh? Because we've heard about this in other parts of the Bible. He, rep- he was represented by a golden calf because, or bull because it represented fertility, lust, sexual freedom, do whatever you want, money, wealth, power. Baal gave these people everything they'd want. So why not worship the the bull and Baal, because these are all the things you want, guys. Like truly, your flesh wants it, so go worship the one that says that's okay to have. And Elijah is sent by God to say that's not okay. And so there's a showdown in the Bible, and and this is how Elijah shows us. Your first point of how faith works. Faith begins with a word from God. God gave a word to Elijah, one little word, he said, go. Romans 10, 17 says, so when faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, your faith begins when you get a word from God. Where does that word come from? Now, some of you have been a part of churches or maybe you've seen on TV where somebody says, send me 1999, I'll send you a handkerchief and a word from the Lord for you. Or come in and I'll, I'll be a psychic and I'll talk to your dead relatives for you and I'll give you a word. And, and, and so some would be on the far extreme of this, this is evil, like don't go and get uh, to a psychic or to a medium, that, that is completely opposite of God. But some would say, um, God told me and gave me a word for you and they tell you, you're gonna have twins. What happens when you never have twins? Maybe that wasn't a word from God, but you're holding on to it because you looked for your word from God from another person. Actually, we're supposed to look for our word from God from the Bible, but that's why we have to read the Bible. The Bible, when you open this up and you read something, you know, some of you have come to church and said, pastor was like in my house this week according to how he preached, like he read my mail. He didn't, he really doesn't have cameras. Um, That would just be creepy, creepier than anything. But he does give you scripture, which then reads your mail. And that's why we have to get into the Bible. And if you're not a reader, get the YouVersion app and have it read to you. Have it read to you in the car. You will get a word from God. You'll get, you'll get a promise. There's thousands of promises, promises about your marriage, your kids, your business, your temptations, your addictions, your challenges, your future. This is why we need to read the Bible or listen and get a word from the Bible. So Elijah, back to him, he's the prophet of God. He, he is in a spiritual battle and he goes to King Ahab and his wife Jezebel and he says, we're gonna fight over the greatness of God. So Ahab, because he was worshiping false gods and leading people to do the same, Elijah had to prove that Baal was wrong and that God was right. And God gave that authority to Elijah to go and call that out. So in 1 Kings 17:1, it says, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. It begins with a word and then a belief, faith, because the promises of God always come to pass. You may not see it now, and someday you'll stand before God, though, and you'll say, you'll see this video, and I'll see this video, and I'll go, oh, that's why blank happened. Oh God, that's why blank didn't happen. I just don't know it now, but what we have to do is step out just like Elijah had to go and, and do exactly what he was told to do. So as Isaiah 55, 11, so says, so is my word, 
that goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word never returns empty or void. Point number two, how faith works. Faith continues when you hold on to what God said. We're gonna look at how Elijah didn't immediately get Ahab to turn away from false gods. You have to hold on and you have to not give up. You have to keep praying for healing, keep praying for peace, keep praying for wholeness or restoration, or keep praying for wisdom, and God will send that to you, maybe through someone. Philippians 1.6 says, I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it's finished when Christ Jesus returns. So we're back to Elijah, 1 Kings, Elijah is given he gave the command to not rain. He goes out, he hides, he's fed by ravens. It is a drought in the land. A widow comes up to him and he says, will you feed me? And she says, how am I gonna feed you? We're in a drought. Like we're dying, you're dying. I have a son at home and if I feed you, we will die. But we thought we could have one last meal and then we'd go die. And so he, he goes ahead and he he performs a miracle for this lady. She continues to have bread and oil and her and her, her son survive. And then Elijah goes back and it's a showdown with 450 prophets of Baal. So Elijah tells King Ahab, get ready because it's going to rain. So it's not rained for three and a half years. Now Elijah comes back to King Ahab and says, you, you saw that, right? Like I prayed there wouldn't be rain, there wasn't rain. King Ahab said, yeah, that wasn't you. So God says, okay, take it up a notch. So Elijah says, okay, be watching, it's gonna rain. And the great part is, not only does it rain, but then, then Elijah begins to, uh, because what their, their standoff is, is there's two altars and they're going to pray and it, the altar will burn up in a flash. So Elijah is building this altar. He douses it in water. The other prophets, they have all the sticks, the dry drought um, stuff, and it's gonna go up in flames. And they're praying to their 450 prophets that this altar will burn while Elijah is dousing his with water and his burns and theirs will not burn. And they cut themselves and they do what the world would do and they get no results. But Elijah prays and sure enough, Elijah wins. But Elijah tells, this is Elijah telling King Ahab, get ready, it's going to rain. And in 1 Kings 18.43, Elijah said to his servant, go and look toward the sea the servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told his, his servant, go and check, look towards the sea. Seven times the servant went, came back, I don't see anything. This is what faith is, that Elijah looks like a fool right now. He was supposed to say it's gonna rain, prove Ahab wrong, and instead seven times the servant goes, there's no rain, there's no cloud. There's no cloud? Like we've seen some clouds around Green Bay lately, right? Like I just feel like the river is going to overflow. There's been so much rain. No rain, no cloud. Six times nothing happens. Sometimes you're praying for your marriage. You're like, I've been praying for it for sure six times, seven times. But you have to keep going back. So he gets on his faith, face. Elijah gets on his faith, face humble before God. And he just says, Please God, let it rain. His servant goes back the seventh time, he comes back and he said, I see a cloud, but it's the size of a man's hand up in the sky. And Elijah stood up and he said, that's all I need. And the Bible actually says that Elijah uh, 
tucked his skirt, tucked, tucked his robe right into his pants. And he told King Ahab, you need to get your chariot and go because it's going to downpour. And King Ahab didn't believe him. Elijah tucks his robe in his pants and he runs ahead of the chariot, which I think the Bible's trying to tell us he was sprinting as fast as he could to outrun the rain because he just knew it was coming and he knew it would rain. But Galatians 6, 9 says, don't become weary in doing good for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do, do not give up. So the last thing Elijah teaches us is that faith goes from a small beginning, a hand, a size of a man's hand, a little cloud, and he knew that's what I was waiting for. It goes from a small beginning to a grand finale. First Kings 18, 45 and 45. Six says, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah. He tucked in his cloak, in his belt. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Some of us may have small beginnings. Like your marriage just has a sliver of hope. Don't give up. Your, your kids and the way they're headed and you're like, I've been praying and we have good conversations, but it's only like once in, a, in a, every few months, but it's a small beginning. It's, it's the size of a man's hand in this massive sky, but it's a sliver of hope because what starts with just a sliver, just a small amount can have a grand finale. I remember when we came to this church, it was in Two buildings ago, we call it, it was over on South Bridge. You couldn't find us on Google. Like you would type in our address, people, we were like, invite people. They're like, I invited them and they're lost. That we weren't, weren't even showing up on Google. Talk about a small beginning. I remember we had, you know, little section of chairs and a little tiny building. And then we started to rope off the sides of this little section of chairs because nobody was coming. I remember my seven-year-old daughter, Aubrey, and we would be driving down Southbridge, which if you drove too fast, you always got picked up. So I definitely think that uh, a lot of people didn't come too because they thought I definitely will get a ticket driving to that church because for sure every other week, somebody got a ticket driving to our church. And so I remember driving down that road slowly to not get a ticket and taking Aubrey's hand, she's seven. And I'm needing a seven-year-old's faith because I was losing my faith. Nobody's coming to our church. Why did we leave San Diego to come to Green Bay in December? And why is the winter going on so long? And I grabbed her hand and I said, baby, will you pray? Because I thought maybe, maybe Aubrey's prayers will get to God's ears better, right? And so I grab her hand and I'd be like, pray. And she'd look at me and she'd be like, okay, God. I said, she said, what do I pray? I said, just pray God will send people to church. And she, God, please send people to church. And like, I look at it and I go, and this is the result, a small, humble beginning. I remember a lady walking up to me in the lobby and she could tell that, you know, Sean and I had big dreams and big visions for reaching our city and reaching the 920, even outside of this city. And, and she walked up to me and I think she could just probably read my face as I said goodbye to the very few people walking out the door. Like, bye, please come back. Please don't skip next week. Like we come here and we want people if we're going to have a church and and she could tell that I was smiling and high-fiving and hugging and just hurting as I left church going there's nobody coming like nobody nobody wants Jesus and and that wasn't it and I'm sure Elijah Elijah goes from being the voice for God proving 450 worshipers and prophets of Baal wrong and you know what he did he went hid out in the wilderness and was suicidal 
So when I say that Elijah's story is a lot like ours, what I'm saying is that Elijah had all, he shows us three ways in which to have and build faith and to hold out. And then there's this little cloud. After everything good happened, he went out to the wilderness and he said, God, just let me die because Jezebel was chasing him. Some of us have had victories and now we're depressed. We've had victories and now we just don't have any faith for the next victory. But as the song said, we're going to see a victory. And if I would have given up, if Sean would have given up, which we thought about in the first building, I can't imagine what it would not look like. Like now next week, we're going to add more sites, more life churches, because what starts with a small, humble beginning. In fact, Zechariah 4.10 tells us, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. It's about the process too. Why? Think about raising your kids. We rejoice in the process of raising our kids. You know, I am not looking forward to when our kids are 18 and going to college or maybe 21 and going to college if they'll stick around for mom. I am, not, I am not looking forward to the end result. I'm actually loving the process. And the process is going too quick. God loves the process, not just the end. And some of us are in process and this faith is actually building the relationship between us and God. If I didn't have a process with my kids, we wouldn't have a relationship because they would just be born in 18 and boom, they're off. The process is what builds my relationship with my kids. And so even the struggle and the strain of parenting is the struggle and the strain of having faith because the process is, is, is as important as the product. So lastly, in verse 19, 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth, this is in James, it's kind of like he takes a sharp right turn. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's what we're doing at Life Church because we got a little word from God that yeah, you're supposed to go to Green Bay for 20 years. I got that word from God that you're not supposed to go there for one year or two years. If you're gonna leave San Diego, you need to go there for 20 years. And I didn't wanna come here at all. We were on the highway in LA. I was in the back seat with a girl who was driving who I should have never let drive. She was probably 20 and I was just didn't wanna drive. We were going, uh, something I've never done still, we were going parasailing. Cause I mean, you live in San Diego, you're gonna go to the beach, eventually do something like that. So I'm like, you drive. So her and the other girl were in the front. I was in the back and I was on my iPad and God said, you're gonna go to Green Bay and you need to, you need to stick in for 20 years. Well now, we've, it's still 20 years and we've been here almost seven. We're here for life. But I was, I was finally saying, I'm gonna consider it. I start looking up houses on Zillow or wherever on the iPad for Green Bay, Wisconsin. No quicker than God said, 20 years, he gave me a word. I open up the iPad, I'm scrolling. I remember only seeing three houses and boom, impact. I had my leg crossed, I had the iPad on my leg. I still have hip issues. We hit the van in front of us that was at a standstill going 60 miles an hour. They uh, brought the ambulance and they were getting the girls out of the car and they determined I couldn't go to a regular hospital. They needed to take me to a trauma hospital, a trauma center. And so another ambulance came and the girls went in one ambulance to a regular hospital and they took me to a trauma center. They get me there and 
Um, they're like, I, I mean, I was, I would, they basically did ultrasounds. I was bleeding internally. I had a chaplain come over, read me my last rites, pray for me. And I said, I thought, what is going on? And of course, I mean, I felt like something I'd never felt before. Like I felt like I was dying. I didn't know what these feelings were, but they're, they cut my clothes off. They do the ultrasound. They come back to me. The lady comes back a second time to read me my rights again. I'm like, what does that mean? That I get my, like, I'm really gonna die? So the doctor gets out of me my husband's cell phone number. Sean gets on the phone and starts texting people and heading from San Diego to LA to get me. And when the lady, when the chaplain came over to me the second time, I thought I better pray because I might die and I have two little kids and a husband. And honestly, that's all that mattered. They did one last ultrasound. He, the, the surgeon came running to my bedside and said, we're gonna take you back, but we're gonna do one more ultrasound. When is your husband getting here? Like he was very nervous that Sean wasn't gonna get there in time. They, I don't know why he said, let's take one more ultrasound. We need to really see where all the blood is coming from internally. They did another ultrasound. They came back with my, um, with my discharge papers and with new clothes and said, there's no internal bleeding, nothing's wrong. We're gonna let you go as soon as your husband gets here. I was like, what just happened? I know that I know that that moment where I'm choosing with the word of God to say, it's time to go to Green Bay, that the enemy said, let's kill this, let's kill her, let's stop this. Then God stepped in, then we get here and we have no people. And then I was like, okay, great, my life was saved, but for this, like really? Like this snow and this cold? And when you hold on, when you keep pushing, like I, I think God has just begun, and that's not just for Life Church. That's for you, for your family, for the marriage that's yet to be yours. Whether you're not even married or your marriage is struggling, there, this, God is just getting started. Don't think your age is a certain way and he's already had time. He's just getting started. Elijah just had to prove it starts little, but it, it grows big. And so, the ultimate grand finale though is a relationship with Jesus because the ultimate grand finale uh, to this whole thing is that eternity is a grand finale. And some of us go, no, I'm living for the moment and I don't think that there's an eternity and I'm telling you there's an eternity. It's the grand finale and we'll look back and this life will look super short. It will, the Bible says it will look like a glimpse. It's just fleeting. And so the grand finale is eternity. And that's why every week at Life Church, we wanna give anyone in this building the opportunity to get their life right with Jesus so that the grand finale of eternity will actually be there. So will you bow your head, close your eyes? Will you, in a moment, pray a prayer with me and everybody else? And, and for some of you, and we've had so many people that have raised their hand and said, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. And you might go, is it really that simple? Well. It's really simple that you make the decision internally, in your heart, that you say, God, I do want a relationship. I wanna turn away from me and everything that was important and make you the most important. And so, so many are doing this every week, but today it's for you. Today, this may be the day that you change eternity for yourself forever. So will you, be, without everybody looking, nobody's looking, nobody's head is up. Will you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me? If you say, I need Jesus, I need eternity in heaven. Thank you. 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 Anybody else looking this way now? Thank you. Thank you. 
Will you pray this prayer with me and everybody else in the room? Say, Lord Jesus, be my savior. Save me from myself, from my past, and give me a new future. God, I repent, I am a sinner, but I know you can change me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying that. And if you will take that card that's in the seat pocket in front of you, or if you're on a front row under your chair, the reason we wanna see that and know that is because we wanna pray with you and for you that you're making that decision. And the reason that we give you a packet at the side doors as you leave or at the Welcome Center is because in that packet, and you'll mark the box, I'm choosing to follow Jesus, and you'll turn that in. And in that packet, there's a 12 minute CD that says, how do I go from where I am to where I need to be with Jesus? And so you can grab that as you leave today. But don't leave yet. I'm gonna have you bow your heads one more time because some of us, we are ready to give up because we don't even feel like we're seeing the little glimpse of hope. And today you need to know that it might still just not be time. Go back six times, seven times. Keep going back and praying and in faith, something's gonna budge. So if you need something to budge, if you need something to give you a glimmer of hope, you need God to just show you something, but you're lacking or you're struggling in faith, will you raise your hand? Let me pray with you and for you. Thank you all over the place, thank you. God, I thank you that my friends are honest enough to say, that God, even though some of us know you've done it before and you can do it again, we're losing hope, we're losing faith, that we like Elijah can have a huge victory and then go and, and feel depressed. But God, I pray that we would not speak death over ourselves. I pray that we would speak life, that if you've won the victory, that that's who you are in our life. So there's victory coming. Give hope and faith and peace to everyone in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen.